listening to Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 WGGTLP, and online at gtownradio.com. It's Thursday evening, and it's time for Cue the Mic. Cue Welcome the Mic, to- Cue the Mic, Cue the Mic. Thank you, Sandy. This is Dr. Renee Narge-Jones, not doctor, but it's doctor, as in scholarly. Um, and... I have a new grandson as of today, 5.30 this morning. Congratulations. Congratulations. Wow. Thank you. I forget. I was going to say my grandson calls me Dr. Grandmother, but now I have two grandsons. I hope this one comes up with an equally as cool name to call you. (laughs) Um, So uh, my pronouns. Somehow we start recording online and I remember to do my pronouns. So my pronouns are... She, her, and Fox just put on sunglasses. She, her, and doctor. Miss Fox, are you going to introduce yourself? She just put on sunglasses. I actually can't um, see anything, so that was a bad move. <laughs> but it looked pretty cool. They felt cool. Um, so this is Fox. I go by she, her, hers, and sometimes dude. And we are joined today by our monthly contributor. My name is Sandy Smith. My day job is home and real estate editor at Philadelphia Magazine. You'll also find me on the local in Germantown as the Germantown editor and in the pages of Next City online. For those of you who send letters addressed Dear Ms. Smith, my name, my pronouns are he, him, and his. You know, Sandy, it took me a long time to get that. I was just like, why do they send it to Miss Smith? Because Sandy is sometimes used as a woman. Oh, I didn't even think of that. It is actually more commonly considered a female name. Most male Sandys, Sandy is a nickname. It's not in my case. Right. And what's Sandy a nickname for in a male? Yeah, I was wondering. Um, it is listed in the dictionary as short for Alexander. Really? Um, yep. Sandy? Wow, uh, I never would have guessed that. Well, consider the three Alexander Calders, the ones with the sculptures on top of City Hall, the Swan yeah. Fountain, the Mobile. The youngest one, you had Alexander Milne Calder, Alexander Sterling Calder, and then just plain Alexander Calder. He went by Sandy. Huh. I never knew that. I grew up with a Cassandra, and we called her Sandy. <laughs> no, um, there's. There, I had a. I had a uh, college classmate. Everybody called him Sandy. His middle name was Sanders, and that's where it came from. Huh. Sanders. Okay. All righty. Um, we have well, a guest in the studio. We do have a guest in the studio. Hi, everybody. She- she is a guest to cue the mic, but she's been around since for the people law and playing language um, for a lot of years. Um, and she's Miss, I call her Vet, um, but her full name is. <laughs> it's a long one. It's, yeah. uh, you, um, I go by pronouns she, her, and um, everybody just calls me Vet. My name is Yvette Kamimura. Hyphen Jones. Hyphen Jones. <laughs> yes. 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 Um, so like I've been married to I've been married to my spouse since uh, 2014, and she and I have been together for 26 years. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, I've been at, it's been a long out. time. Feel free to jump. We had this with Alaska. She didn't know this. Um, feel free to jump in when either any of us are talking about our segments or whatever. Feel free to jump in and interject if you want to say anything. You don't have to like wait till your part. Just wanted to like, sure, sure. Which um, to this week's show. We start out with the weekly segment, Why Pronouns Matter, followed up by Fox's weekly political rant, and I understand she has a doozy this week. Yes, I do. After that, uh, we have uh, our special guest, Yvette Nakamura, uh, though she'll be part of us with the entire show, followed by the ever-popular Gay Answers to Straight Questions, or Gas Cube, what I used to line up in in the Arab oil embargo years. And we finish up with our weekly lightning round, newsworthy or not. Right. So we're going to jump right into why pronouns matter. Um, So I actually saw this on a website um, and it talked about um, why pronouns are important. You can't always know someone, someone's personal pronouns simply by looking at them. So the easiest way to find out is to ask them. And we've talked about this a couple of times. We've talked about if you get someone's pronoun wrong, it's best just to keep it moving. Just like you forgot someone's name, you don't kind of, you know, make a big deal out of it. So we do this segment to to educate, to make sure that we're bringing in, giving examples from from every spectrum of the LGBTQ plus sign community. And Miss Fox has a topic. Yes, it's a it's a bit of a it's a it's a concept somebody brought up to me when I was pulling questions from Reddit, and it is an identity called Stone, which I had never heard before. But I actually dated someone who I think would fall under this category. Stone yes. as an S T O N E. Yes. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So the term stone means somebody who doesn't it's 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 akin to being ace but not quite ace a c e yeah asexual oh okay it's okay close to it but not quite i'm just getting such an education here okay okay maybe that should have been the, the yeah i like the ace we definitely can do a whole episode on asexuality cuz it definitely deserves the attention um but stone, this person gave me a really awesome, <clears throat> excuse me, awesome explanation of it. And basically, where where ace people just don't feel typically, not for everyone, typically don't really feel attraction in general. Stone people kind of like they like to engage in sexual activity, and they like to give, but they don't like to receive. If you know what I mean, they don't they don't like being touched sexually, but they like yeah. They like to be there with their part, be there for their partners, and and be there sexually for their partners, but they don't like to be touched. And it's interesting because I was talking to this person online, and we were talking about experiences because uh, she is stone, and I dated someone who I think might be stone. And they were talking about how the longest time they struggled with their identity for a while because they kind of just felt like they were broken. Kind of like a lot of ace people, I think, feel like before they find their community, kind of grow up not really being able to come out and not really understanding what it means to be asexual. They just kind of think that they're broken because they don't feel or behave like, you know, people tell them they should. 
And, and so, so I'm, I'm going to interrupt you just real mm-hmm. quick. Can you remind, can you share with our audience what asexual means and how it's like the definition compared to stone? It's basically like asexual is our people that don't, and it's not this for everybody. It's really complicated, but that it's been getting for a term to mean that people who don't experience sexual um, attraction, really, they don't experience the desire to engage in sexual activity. Stone are people who do but they don't like and they don't want to be touched themselves they like to give that to their partners but they don't want to be touched at all and Hmm. i dated somebody once who was like this and i mean this person we're going back and forth talking about the struggles of being stoned because she's stoned and when before she really figured out her identity and and when my girl when my my past partner didn't know this about herself um we really struggle because you think that you're broken and if you're a partner of someone um that has this identity you kind of start to think that like maybe it's your fault Mm -hmm. or like you they they don't like you or like you did something wrong they don't like you they don't want to be engaged with you in that way and I don't know, just a really interesting thing because not a lot of people I've never I never heard of the words like the term stone before this person explained it to me. It's new to me too. It's new to me. And, and what's the origin of the of the word stone? You see, like a rock, um, a stone, S T O N E. Apparently, it comes from Leslie Feinberg's Stone Butch Blues. Huh. Hmm. And the person that was explaining to me said that I guess Leslie Feinberg uh, had issues. I don't know what they mean by this issues with their gender. I don't know if they meant that like they didn't know what their gender was, but. Because this is from a cis person who's a lesbian, but it can be any pronoun. Like you don't have to be a specific, you don't have to be a specific sexuality or go by a specific pronoun to be mm-hmm. stone. It's mm-hmm. just like asexuality in that regard. But it's really cool. Um, if you want to read up on it, she has a book online, I guess. Leslie Feinberg. There is a trigger warning. I guess there is some trauma in the book. So if that's something that like sexual trauma, if that's something that really bothers you, maybe take that into consideration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good for saying that. Thank you for saying that. It's yeah. always nice to hear a trigger warning. What would it be like for, you know, someone who's very affectionate? Well, that's the thing. It's, it's not, it's not really up to affection. You can be affectionate all you want. And the person, a person who is stone experiences sexual attraction and experiences affection for the most part from, you know, I don't know, individually, but as a, as a term, they experience those things, but they just don't like, and they don't like being touched themselves. It's not always, and the thing the person I was talking to is trying to tell me is that it's not always like coming from a trauma thing. They're just like that. And the person, like, so the person that I was with was also just kind of like that. It wasn't really, it wasn't anything that came from a past trauma. It can but it's like other sexualities, like asexuality doesn't come from trauma necessarily. Some people just don't have, don't feel sexual attraction. So stone is very similar, but they like to engage in sexual activity to the other person, on the other person, just not on themselves. And yeah, it you know, be- and it, it, it can be very confusing. I mean, I'm thinking now, yeah, I definitely was in a relationship like that. And it definitely added a, added a complicated factor. Exactly, exactly. And it's like, if, if you don't know that someone's like that, or they don't know they're like that, right. it can Which create this case. friction if you are someone who's very intimate and likes to 
you know, give that to your partner yourself, but they don't right. want it and they don't know why. You right. just, it, it creates this thing. It's like, what's wrong with me? Why don't you want me to, you know, why don't you want me to right. touch you? Right. Uh, what did I do wrong? And it just, it creates a lot of insecurity. And it's something that I wish that like this partner that I had would have known about themselves because I know it caused them a great deal of like self, self-esteem issues and self-hatred because they were upset at, at what it was doing to me too. They didn't know what was going on and they, right. it caused them a lot of Have you heard of this, Vet? Yvette, have you heard of this? No, this is new to me, and I would imagine that it would cause it would cause friction, especially like Jamie was saying that if if you're if you're the affectionate one, right? Oh, so I just I, looked I, it up. I, I would feel like my my kitchen is like I could be on C-SPAN. I mean, I got this bookcase over my right shoulder, you know. <laughs> You know, and, and I've been watching Good Morning America and those morning shows and everyone's at home or I saw Al Roker and he was, I guess in the beginning, he was quarantining at home and um, the wife was making breakfast and two or three kids were in the background kind of doing morning stuff. Um, and I think the schools were still open at this point. But um, yeah, you saw and it was just like, it's like, yeah, I just saw your wife go by. Hi. She's like, yeah, I don't think she meant to be in that shot. Uh, but because it was in the kitchen and, you know, people kind of wander by. So um, it's funny. So we feel very much like CNN and, you know, those, you know, ABC, NBC, because we have these issues as well. I just looked it up and Stone Butch Blues actually kind of sounds like something I would really want to read. It's a novel written by, so she's a revolutionary communist, Leslie Feinberg, about life as a butch lesbian in 1970s America. The narrative follows the life of Jesse Goldberg, who grows up in a working class area of upstate New York and is aware from a young age that she's different from other girls and often receives the question, are you boy or girl? And I think that it comes out later that she's stone. And oh, I want to read this. Okay, so if you want to find it, Stone Butch Blues, Lesbian Fern Feinberg. I think you can find it online. Any Very people nice. that feel like they're, they might be questioning if they're Stone, definitely check it out. Again, yeah. Tom Warren. Okay. I, I definitely was in a relationship with someone. Um, and hi, Joanne. Joanne's the wife. Hi, Joanne. Um, <laughs> hi, Joanne. <laughs> um, so yeah, very good. That's that's a really good pronouns. Um, matter and that when I was putting this show together, one of the things that I was out um, at whatever that bookstore is at Rittenhouse Square. It used to be. Barnes and Noble. It's Barnes and Noble. And I was in there getting some Potter stuff for my daughter, Niall, and for Christmas. And the person behind the counter was just helping me with extra Potter stuff. And they were just going way over and beyond just helping me. And we have this and we have that. Oh, my God, did you see this? And, you know, I usually, um, you know, you kind of want to go out of your way to say thank you. Thank you, kind sir, or thank you, whatever. And I did not know the gender of the person that was helping me. And I was stuck. I was um, not speechless, but I was kind of maybe speechless, kind of, um, thank you. Thank you. You have a good day. And um, if I would have known all of this, this is a couple of years ago, I could have asked for their pronoun and then kind of addressed it like that. So um, we've been learning a lot doing the pronoun section. So, yeah, I've never heard of Stone either, but I've definitely been in that situation. And speaking of, we miss you, Griffin. Yes, I know. I put that on here. Griffin. Griffin. Griffin's pronouns are they, them. Uh, I remember when the Associated Press said that it is okay to use the word they 
to describe an individual of nonspecific gender. I consider this a great advance. And the word actually has a pedigree. It was used in 15th, 16th century England in just that fashion. But it is, I think, very difficult for a lot of us to use they to refer to a specific individual who looks like they ought to have a certain gender. Yeah, I, I guess. It's not as hard for me because I'm growing up in a time where it's has become more visible earlier in my life, but I've kind of just gone about it in the way of, kind of like how I didn't realize Sandy was a girl's name, I've kind of gone about it in a way is typically not is a girl's name. I, I didn't even realize that specifically usually a girl's name because I don't it's it's all about kind of restructuring your brain to stop thinking about things in gendered ways. Right. So just to kind of like, oh, names are names are genderless now. People are genderless. I'm just going to look at this person and just automatically think genderless till they tell me. So that's the easiest way to do it for me. So my grandson was born at five something this morning. And they're either going to call him Arlo, A-R-L-O, Wilder, W-I-L-D-E-R, Johnson, or Wilder, L- Wilder Arlo Johnson. I think that they're totally genderless names. Wilder would be a cute name for if if they if if the child ended up identifying as female, that would be a pretty cute female name. Kind of like how I think Charlie is a really cute name for people that identify as female. I don't know why I've always thought that was a cute girl's name, but yeah, I almost named my um. I almost named my daughter January. I like the name January. Uh, oh, speaking of names, baby names, there's this trend going around on Facebook right now that I absolutely love. It's hilarious. It is, which word do you think would make a pretty baby name if it didn't mean what it meant? So I said, felony. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Say that again. What would be a nice name if it didn't mean what? Which word do you think, just any word, do you think would make a pretty baby name if it didn't mean what it currently means? Okay. So I said okay. felony would be a really cute baby name if it didn't mean what it meant. Or arson. And the responses that I got were pretty hilarious. Like, see, I got one. Jezebel. Arson, down those matches. What? Arson. <laughs> Someone said orifice. Orifice. Portabella. Oh, I saw a really funny one the other day. The obvious ones are like really dirty, dirty names or like really horrible names like genocide, um, asbestos, melanoma. Oh my Jesus! Parsley. Yeah, you know, you know, they are kind of cute though. They'd be pretty if they didn't mean what they meant. So, so the whole the whole trend is like think of a word if it didn't mean what it meant, it would make a pretty name. Um, and I just I'm loving it. It's it's really funny. <laughs> Quiche. Keish, yeah, 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 yeah. I said Chilaquiles too. That'd be a really pretty name. Tequila? Chilaquiles. It's a Ooh. dish. Oh, okay. It's a, dish. It's a really oh, it's, delicious yeah, it's, dish. It's tasty it's too. Yeah. What? And they're tasty too. Chilaquiles? Oh, they're so good. Yeah. Oh, but it would make a really pretty name. <laughs> hey, brisket, how you doing? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I heard, I heard uh, there's a character in a show that I've been watching. Her name's Britta. And I've gotten over it sounding like 
the brand name Britta, and now I actually like it as a name. Yeah, I do. I like that. I like that a lot. Huh. Agave. Christmas tree? No, maybe not, huh? Well, tree, you know, though. This Hello? also is a little too hilarious to, you know, uh, to, to, to follow with a rant, but, you know. <laughs> I know. Well, I think we're going to move on to Yvette's uh, section first. Um, so, Miss Vet, um, I, I'm not even going to try to introduce you. It's you. you I'm going to let you introduce you. Are you all right with that? Uh, why are you flipping the script now? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've known Vet for Vet. I've known Vet. I've known your Vet since. Oh my God, two thousand seven or eight, nine. Two thousand seven. Wow. Yeah. Um, her, she's had this amazing journey of um, recovery and um, talking about turning your life around. Um, I remember when she was going to Eastern University, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and and um, made an appointment for her to go to Chestnut Hill College and went with her up there and we went up there. And I think you're sponsor also graduated from Chestnut Hill College. Um, I remember um, Yvette calling me when she got her first math book and I'm going, oh my God, this woman's in tears. Somebody died. Something happened. The dog's sick. She's like, I got my math book. Oh my God, I can't do any of this. And then she turns around and graduates um, top of her class, gives the valedictorian speech and Goes on for a master, same things, and it's just been kicking butt and taking names. Um, she sits on the board with me at Women Against Abuse and um, just got another promotion at work. Yes. Um, and that's the short version. It's amazing. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. So, so my journey, Renee was talking about my journey. My journey, um, I, I had to think about it. And it took me 27 years to get just just shy of 15 years. I'm just shy of 15 years clean and sober now. And um, I just want to I just want to say that Renee has been a huge, huge support to me. Um, school, um, whatever it is, just life in general. She's always been there for me, and um, thank you, thank you so much. Mm. You know, it means a lot to me. Um, but I'm here. Uh, I guess I'm here tonight to talk about. You know, so I don't want to say say the the c word, the COVID word, but you know, it's affected all of us, and it's had a negative impact on everyone. Um, as a result of social distancing and self quarantine. Um, you know, becoming mandatory around the world. Um, this it's it's leaving like an untold number of individuals unable to work, unable to attend school, travel. Um, isolation prevents us from having everyday face-to-face contact with our family, friends, and loved ones, and, and supports. Um, so, so this is particularly trying time for those in recovery who depend on that much-needed face-to-face human contact support. Uh, isolation can 
can lead to devastating consequences for those in recovery. And so I'm actually working on a webinar right now um, to post since we are not doing um, in-house trainings. And um, it's on maintaining recovery for those um, for dur- during crisis, during a time in crisis. And so I just wanted to to point out that, yes, there are many vulnerable populations out there, many vulnerable populations. Um, but for those in recovery, isolation can be deadly because. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and, you know, and I'm, I'm going to jump in. Vet and I talked the other day. Um, well, I don't even know what we talked about. It was something else. And we start talking about the webinar you were working on and you were talking about just so your vet works with um, folks that are in recovery, folks that are not in recovery, folks that are um, they're 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 still in their addiction. Is that a good way to put it? Absolutely. Right. So during our conversation, she was telling me about work. She just got a promotion. And, you know, the more you talk to people and you talk to people in other areas of work and kind of what they're doing. And I'm like, my God, I didn't even think about how this has an impact on folks in recovery, folks that are, that, that are using, I mean, I, I have seen the, um, the, a little bit of news about folks that are experiencing homelessness, homelessness, um, and how they're trying to keep the social distance with folks that are homeless. Um, and I did not think about folks being homeless in Griffin, who's not here tonight. Hey, Griffin. Um, and I sit on the national, and Sandy, National Lesbian. National Lesbian Journalist Association. Thank or, you. As I may now refer to it, NLGJA, the Association of LGBTQ Journalists. And I can never get that out. It's like, wait a minute, ABLGBT. Yeah, I can't get it out. Um, and so in some of the events that we're planning, we just did a trans day of remembrance back in November. We're always trying to look at ways to have outings or plan events and maybe something that's not always in a bar because a lot of people in the LGB community are in recovery. I mean, there's a lot of people in general in recovery, but I don't know the percentages, but I know that there's a significant amount of people in the LGBTQ plus sign community that are in recovery. So when I talk to vet, it just is like, my God, you have to come on the show. You have to come on the show because it's what about that population? And I don't think as a, as a, as host on this show, I don't think we've even talked about that population. Yeah. As a person in recovery, um, I, I know what that isolation feels like. Um, it's, it's just, you know, you feel disconnected. Um, you feel like no one's available to talk to you or, or that understands you. Uh, you feel like no one cares. You're feeling rejection and um, you're fearing that you're, you know, that you're always going to feel this way. And so, so coming into recovery um, changes your whole perspective, changes our whole perspective on life. And um, really what I wanted to get out there is that right now, during this time, during social isolation and, you know, people being being separated from, from meetings and things like that, things that keep them going, um, I sent Renee a couple of lists of virtual meetings, um, some resources. Uh, I don't know how you're going to get those. Can you post them? Yep. Can you see it now or no? 
Hold on. Uh, you, you can see it? I see yeah. them. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, there's some, some virtual recovery programs from Alcoholic Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous, Life oh, Ring. Very what is cool. Life virtual Ring? Recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I actually attended a virtual meeting last night and uh, the meeting was based in Pottstown. So um, recovery is everywhere. You know, I just happened to look on my Facebook and it popped up and I said, oh, it's almost seven o'clock. Let me try this meeting. And it was great to connect with some other people in recovery. You know, it, it was just, it was just really nice to, to connect with folks and, and yeah, we're all, we're all in our own spaces, but, but we're together, you know, we, we have each other. So, um, I sent you another page to another email with, um, yeah, another, okay. yeah. So, um, there are tons of resources out there. Um, I'm going to send you some information, um, on the, de for the de department of behavioral health. Um, fabulous. And, and vet is a wealth of information. Um, so, and I can share this and we can get this out on our social media pages so that, I mean, there are just so many places that I'm not even, I didn't even know, um, existed. Um, but have you ever heard of the heroin project? Uh, no, I haven't. I don't know. I have to see. I don't know if there's still... It was a thing that I helped... Uh, it was in York, because heroin's really, really... People think that Baltimore's really bad, and it is, but York is actually really bad mm -hmm. with with heroin addiction, and there was a, a program there for a little while. I think it was privately owned, but it was more for like getting information out called the Heroin Project that I helped out with for a little bit. It was run by a guy who used to work in Baltimore, um, drug recovery, but, um, yeah, people don't, people think of like these, these bigger cities that have a reputation for having really bad drug abuse, but they don't. And it's like, they almost relax and think that like, oh, it's just in these bigger cities. It's not in maybe some of the smaller ones too. But like when I lived in Harrisburg, which is a pretty small city, despite it being the capital of Pennsylvania for some reason. Um, but there was a lot of addiction there in Harrisburg. Just in the couple of years that I lived there, I made a lot of friends. And I made a lot of friends who were struggling with drug addiction. And one of them specifically who I just talked to a little while ago, um, we've kind of been running in each other into each other for the last couple of years. And... I've been trying to help him a lot because he's, you know, one of those people that has had a really, really hard time staying off of it. But it, that area is really, really, it's not helping its addiction, addicted population. And I actually, we did talk about it once, Renee, because a couple months ago I lost a friend to an overdose and wow, okay. around the Harrisburg area. Wow, and I'm sorry. That was like one of many in the last couple of years like it, people think that it's not as bad just because you're not in the hot spot cities but it's bad everywhere it's bad in the tiny little itty bitty podunk town that I came from it's just different types of drugs and it's handled differently yeah you know um 
um, my um, ex, Deborah, is from a tiny, tiny town in Pittsburgh, outside of Pittsburgh. Um, like, I think they have, like, one stop sign. And um, you learn in Pennsylvania, you know, you have Pennsylvania, which is kind of the whole state in between Philly and Pittsburgh. Um, but in small towns, you know, it, it's there, and a lot of people don't think that it is. And I, I, if I recall, when Deborah retired from the military, she retired in Alaska. And she said that they have a very high rate of alcoholism because, I mean, it's, it's you know, they get so much winter, so much summer. It's dark, you know, part of the year. And, um, you know, but that leads to more alcoholism. So I can definitely see where smaller communities would have that. The thing is, is that, like, at least in my area, the, the police presence is a little bit different. It's... Um... It's like, I don't want to say it's more lax. I mean, it's it's like one of those things where it's like, it's such a small area that a lot of people personally know the cops and they went to school with these cops and mm. they can kind of get away with stuff because they know some of these cops. And there's a lot less checks and balances because it's such a small system and a small thing. Got that, you. Like, but there's also not really any programs Right. So, like, if you aren't friends with these cops and you have a drug addiction and you are having trouble with it, you're likely just going to keep getting arrested and thrown in jail and you're not going to get any actual help because it's not a big enough area and they're not getting enough funding to these areas to have programs for recovery. And it just, like, it, it's not that it's worsened in cities, but it's that there isn't enough resources so you kind of once you get into it you kind of just keep going down that path you know and and it would seem that even if the money was there is there resistance from the community because the community is so small and close-knit and everyone knows everyone that you wouldn't go or that is that just in my head not sure I would like to think that that isn't true but I'm sure that that can be a factor um, Have you run into that vet with smaller communities? Smaller communities, I, I'm, I, I feel that addiction is everywhere. Mm-hmm. Because people in recovery are everywhere, right? You know, um, so whether, I mean, but so whether, people whether it's a smaller community, um, and 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 it's unfortunate that the smaller communities don't really get the funding that they need to develop programs and, um, for their folks, you know, like a, like a city, a city like Philadelphia, we have everything. We have, um, everything from, you know, children and adolescents, drug and alcohol, mental health, psych inpatient, we have it all here and we're, and we're fortunate, but for those smaller communities, um, it's a shame. It really is. Um, funding has a lot to do with things, and and that's another that's a whole nother animal. Right, because exactly, because even if you get a lot of funding in the city, there's specific areas that are going to get more funding because of who controls, who doles out the funds. So it's still going to be you know uneven. Plus, Absolutely. there's just so many people that like. There's just so many people and these underserved areas. It's yeah travesty yeah but um 
I'm I, I'm really grateful to be here today. You know, I'm really grateful to be able to offer some resources and to um, and you know just just to represent. You know, and to give some somebody if somebody's going to be listening to this that is uh, is teetering on on you know on the fence as to whether they want to get into recovery or not, um, maybe I could touch. I my hope is that um, whenever I speak out, is that if I if I can touch at least one person, then I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. You know, so. So if so, I know with domestic violence, it touches every social, economic, racial, you know, group. What about with folks that are in addiction um, and whatever, whatever it is? I'm, I'm assuming the statistics are similar or no? Oh, statistics. There's there's tons of statistics, tons of statistics. And um, um, I coordinate trainings for the Department of Drug and Alcohol Programs. Um, that's one of my babies. So I look at statistics all the time and, um, you can go online and, and, um, they, they have current reports, current data, um, everything from medication assisted treatment, people that are, you know, addicted to heroin, like you said, Jamie, that are addicted to heroin, um, other opioids, you know, um, it's all there. It's, it's all there and it's just, I get flustered when I start talking about this. That's understandable. And I think people don't like bring up enough when they're talking about drug addiction is it it goes hand in hand with a lot of things. And I think, um, I think this is true. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, okay. Um, From what I understand if the more likely that there was some kind of domestic or sexual trauma earlier on in someone's life, the more likely they are to have um, or become addicted to drugs later on in life. You're absolutely right. And it's not just, it's just not any, it's not um, just uh, domestic violence or anything, tra- trauma, that that type of trauma. It's any type of trauma, you know, um, um, I would say that I would say that just off the top of my head, from what I what I have learned, um, I would say about ninety eight percent of people have suffered some sort of trauma in their lives. Mm-hmm. And, um, medicating, taking away that pain, you know, that's that's it right there. So. Yeah, you know, my mother died when I was like 13, and there still was three of us at home that were under 18. Um, my brother's two years younger than I am, and um, my father did get married a year later, but he became an alcoholic. Um, and this was someone that was my role model, was my hero. And to watch him, I mean, it never, he didn't lose his job. He worked for the IRS, but there was always a, a flask in the briefcase, you know? Um, and I remember as a family, well, I have five sisters, so, and they were all older than I am, but I remember the discussions and I'm younger, but I do remember the conversations and some attempted interventions. And it was me who 
got him to go to AA. But I remember just watching him go through that period and realizing, wow, it can take anyone down. And around when I left home at an early age, my husband, who was the abuser in my domestic violence relationship, shot up drugs. So again, I saw two people who were strong and smart and intelligent and industrious and all these things. I saw drugs and alcohol take them both down. And because of that, um, it scares me. You know what I'm saying? It scares me. Even if I'm just upset because, you know, I missed my flight or I broke a fingernail. Do you want a cocktail? Hell no. Hell, because, I mean, it's almost like it's, it's overkill because I saw what it can do, you know, especially um, um, with the crack epidemic, you know, a number of years black back, I remember seeing people who it was just like, here's what it can do. And you start, you still saw people, people who just kind of just walked into it. It's not going to get me. It's not going to get me. What are you talking about? This is a narcotic. What do you mean? It's not going to get you. And I've seen people lose careers and homes and families because they got hooked and, and they didn't understand the, the physical part of addiction that you can, I don't care how smart you are, you can still get hooked on drugs. Yeah. And that's what I was bringing about with the, with the trauma thing is that like nothing makes me more angry when I'm arguing with someone, usually on Facebook, of course, because that's where evil lies and arguing with someone on Facebook about, you know, when they say stuff like, well, it was a choice. They didn't have to do it. They didn't have to start blah, 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 blah. And it makes me mad because they don't, they, they think it's just, and some people it is, Sometimes it is just somebody who has nothing else going on in their lives that they just try it. But most of the time, like you said, it's not just someone who hasn't gone through some kind of trauma. It's all linked. It's there's there's trauma involved. There's drug abuse involved and involved. And people don't understand that like it's also tied into suicide. Like the mm-hmm. amount of people who feel helpless that they can't get out of it, and the amount of suicide that is involved in that is another type of pandemic and these things are all intertwined and it's like if you grow up it, I mean the the amount of people that I know that just grew up in that life they didn't even have a chance because they they were raised in an environment where that was around constantly and they saw that their caregivers and their their main their main sense of support struggling with drug addiction or selling drugs and they grow up in this environment and they don't really even have a chance to not be involved in it because, you know, as a child, you grow up and the things that you know are based off of what you grow up with. That's it. Your parents, your surroundings, the things that you know growing up as a child, like that is completely influenced by your environment. So if your environment is that, it wasn't really a choice in the end. It's it's you like what else do these 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 children and these kids that get involved early like what else do they know especially if they're in really really bad economic conditions and they have they don't really see a way out they're not given a leg up and even if it's something where it's like they are growing up in a in a community or a family that that you know mainly sells to get by like there's a hole that you get dug into being born that you can't get out of unless you get help and if there isn't any help in that area then it's 
you know, what can you do? People are so hard on these people and they just don't understand where it starts and how it's not just like, oh, you just didn't have to try this at a party or whatever they're imagining. It starts like, not that it can't start that way. I'm just saying it's not, it's not that simple. Right. And, and alcohol is something that, I mean, it's, it's a part of our culture, you know, growing up, um, you at Thanksgiving, what was that nasty? I'm dating myself here. Manischewitz. What is that anyway? What is Manischewitz? Manischewitz is a kosher wine. Um, Yes. It's extremely sweet. Yes. Yes. Um, But, but you saw people, even though you didn't see anyone intoxicated, I never saw anyone intoxicated, but the Delts drank and um, there were some folks who you noticed some maybe aunts or some people drank a little bit more because they were just a little bit too much when they were drinking. I think society made it different than drugs. It is. You know? and it's, not, it's not really. That's the thing that misses me up is that like alcohol is so legal and it's so readily available. Take the town I'm talking about that I grew up in. One of the reasons I think drug abuse is so bad there besides the thing I mentioned is that like I grew up with kids that drank when they were like 12. Their parents just let them drink. Cool, you're, you're doing it in a controlled environment at their house, but they start drinking when they're 12. They don't ever stop. And I know someone very close to me who drank that early, and now they have three DUIs, and they can't stop drinking every single night, and they're younger than me. And people that say that alcohol isn't a gateway drug is are... are I think they're completely wrong because in my experience in the far, far past, the times that I have tried drugs myself have been when I was drunk, like drugs that I would never do now, drugs that I don't think were worth it. Like Mm -hmm, I have mm -hmm. 100% done them because I was drunk enough because I was somewhere where they were, you know, presented to me and I was, I was intoxicated and that intoxication it just is something about it. You just think, oh, the, the party's going on. I'm drunk. This is, you know, this is the next step. This is what I want to do. And it makes you, it completely impairs you to the point where you just kind of want to keep chasing that high. And that can, for a lot of people start making the think that they, you know, want to get into something harder or more. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's an interesting take on it. Um, I mean, I agree with you that basically, you know, um, the distinction that we make between alcohol and other drugs is a false one. Um, I tend to be kind of libertarian on the subject, though, of whether that means we should make them illegal. Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather deal with the consequences through the public health system than the criminal justice one. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I think any, any drug, depending on the context, can be a gateway drug. Well, marijuana tends to put you to sleep rather than make you try something harder. Yeah, but, I agree with that, too. Um, but yeah, you know, con- context is everything. And I think this, you know, the, the, the value of recovery groups is that they offer concrete support, uh, a supportive community around which you can model the behavior you want to you want to change. Wow. 
Support is everything. What do you think that? Uh, yeah, I don't know where I would be without support. Um, I, I have the same sponsor that I had from when I first, when I first walked through the doors and, um, um, she's been, it, it's, it's been a journey to me. I mean, for me in terms of support, because I was estranged from my family for 15 years. They live on the West coast and that's where I was born and raised. And so, um, one of the things that I wanted more than anything was to reunite with my family. And um, once I reunited with them, it was a step-by-step process because I had been gone so long. You know, uh, mm-hmm. my mom had no idea where I was. But once I started to build that trust and that relation and, and I built that, I wouldn't even say rebuilt because we had to build a relationship and so um i have the support of my family point being i have the i have the support of my family now i have the support of my fellowship (coughs) and i have um other friends and i have my wife and and people support me you know they support me in my recovery they um they they encourage me to move forward and to do other things, you know, um, in my life, take, take more steps. Um, and no, no, Dr. Dr. Renee, I am not going for my PhD. (laughs) (laughs) We used to joke and say, we'll go out. I was, I I think I was still in school. It's like, she, I'm going to get, I'm getting mine now. She was going to get hers and we'll go, no, after you doctor, no doctor after you, when we're going out (laughs) to lunch and now she's ruined this whole thing. We can never go out to lunch again. I go, no doctor after you, no doctor after you. Yeah, but no, Jamie, you're absolutely right. Support is everything, you know. Um, and I hope I didn't, um, I'm sorry, I get really passionate when I talk about stuff. I hope I didn't, like, no. talk about anything or say anything that, like, put you, you know, dragged you in any kind of bad absolutely space. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to, we met vet, vet. When we met Yvette, my ex, we had a, Yvette was an attorney, so she had a small criminal law office, and she got a call from, um, the it was an outreach center or something. What, what, what was it? I uh, can't think of the name of the center. It was for women who were coming out of jail, right? Yeah, I was. Uh, that's part of my story. I was incarcerated um, and I was fortunate enough to be released to a program um, where I was still under the supervision of um, the Philadelphia prison system. Uh, but during that time, I turned my whole life around. I mean, I turned my whole life around. Yeah. Um, um, so uh, my ex Deborah had, um, she had a couple clients that was in the same residence in that program. Um, and she became, Deborah became close with the um, executive director. Um, and the executive director called Deborah one day and said, so um, I have someone, they went through, um, you went through a paralegal program, right? Yes, I did. She went through a paralegal program and she called Deborah and said, I have someone went through a paralegal program and she needs a job. And Deborah, who's very expressive, said, 
Darn. No, she Y'all said. Really- she said to me. She said. She said, "How do I know you're not going to steal from me?" <laughs> yeah. yeah, Deborah, don't buy her tongue. But but, like- but what she said to the executive director, she said. Y'all gonna make me walk when I talk here. I'm not sure if I want somebody who's been through this whole history in my office, but you're gonna make me walk when I talk. Um, and it was myself that Jennifer, I think, was there when you came in, right? Yes. It was in the evening after hours. Um, we were in one pen center. Deborah was smoking in a non-smoking building. I was putting together some bookcase <laughs> or something. So you couldn't even get in the office. Jen had come by, and I think we were just chilling. We might have had a cocktail or two. And we were just kind of chilling. Jen was, I was sitting in there. Jen came by. You couldn't get in there because I'm putting this big piece of furniture. Deborah's sitting in her desk. She's smoking, and she's doing whatever. And um, she said, yep, she's going to tell this her to come now. She might as well get to know us how we are. And I'm going, oh, my God, this is not I how I want to present. <laughs> <laughs> because you couldn't get in, but it was just everybody was just like, this is this is this is you know the life of an entrepreneur, and you know we're putting furniture. She's doing something. Jen popped by after court, um, so yeah, she sat in the hallway, and you did excellent. Were you nervous as heck? Of course I was. Yeah. Um, so that was the first job. No, you were already working at your job, but this was something in the legal field. Yes. 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 I was um, in that program. Um, I had just got a job, but I I wanted to I wanted to work in that field. I wanted to work in the field of law. So, yeah. Yeah. So is that what she said to you? How do you know? Yeah, that sounds like her. Just how do you know you're not going to steal from me? Um, <laughs> but you started. We never looked back. Um, Yvette was the person that if Deborah was in court and the judge said. Um, if I don't get a bid for this person or I need a program for this person, if not, they're going to jail. Deborah knew that she can call vet any hour, any day, any time and go. And, you know, I need someone. The judge said right now he needs to be in a program and vet would go. You would ask all their demographic stuff and you would just this woman can find it. OK, she knows it like the back of her hand. She can. Um, work with uh, she was working with Deborah um, and to keep people out of jail and getting them into some something that's going to help them because just going to jail is not going to help. Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, so she's always been a resource person and even personally, if someone reaches out, I mean, I get a lot of calls from people who are going through domestic violence, but if I get something that somebody's going through something and they need a program in the city of Philadelphia, this is the young lady you call right here, and she can tell you. And so I was not surprised when I opened up my email and saw she had a couple of resources there that we'll definitely share on social media. There's so many programs and I didn't even realize there were so, so many programs out there. Yeah. And my point is, is that during this time when everybody's isolated, every everybody's jumping on the, the virtual platform um, bandwagon. And it's a good thing because we stay connected like we're connected now. You know what I mean? We wouldn't have been able yeah. to have this meeting, right? Right. Right. So, so the next best uh, thing to being there. Yeah. yeah. And for people in recovery, you know, a lot of folks only there, they uh, um, have a phone so they can, they can do zoom on their phone. You know, if we have lab, if they have laptops and they can link up on there, but um, um like you said, Jamie, the support is is so important. 
So, and that's just what I, just really what I wanted to stress tonight is that even though we're, we're self-isolated, we're not alone. We're not alone. Very nice. Very nice. And Miss Fox, do you have a rant for us? Oh, I do. And is it, is, is it political in nature? It is. Okay. And is it about your favorite guy? No, but he makes the cameo. Oh, okay. Okay. I actually wanted to talk about really quick about uh, Bernie dropping out of the race and what that means moving forward. Because uh, as we are 4-16-2020, I'm sorry. He has dropped out of the race, but he's still on the ballot. Really? What this means is that he can continue to collect delegates and keep his delegates, but he cannot win the nomination from the DNC. Now, what this means is that he will still be able to wield influence over the DNC platform so that he can continue to make sure that the things that he talked about for his campaign can become closer to reality. So, you know, universal health care, not that he will make that happen from that position, but he can have more influence over those things if he keeps on doing what he's doing right now. And I know some people are criticizing this, but like he can't win everybody. You know, there are people who are mad at him for doing this. And yet there are people who are mad at him for dropping it all, which at this point it was kind of a move that needed to happen because he was so far behind in delegates. So he, you know, someone's going to be mad either way, but he did what he thought was best, you know, dropping out to help, the DNC defeat Trump, but also keeping influence so he can stay true to his morals and keep influencing the party towards healthcare for all, fair wages, taking down overpowered corporations and everything else that his supporters supported. So I think, I understand why he did it, and I think it was a pretty smart move. And even Biden agreed, saying that Sanders and his supporters have changed the dialogue in America and issues which have been given little attention or little hope of ever passing are now at the center of the political debate. He just hasn't just run a political campaign. He's created a movement, which I thought was important. And now what that means now, what is important now from us is that we need to get more involved in electoral politics and vote out corrupt politicians and bring in more progressive minds to the things that we can still vote for besides the presidential seats. Um, Senate, Congress, local government, we need to get involved in that and keep voting there because that is where we can bring change now. And my friend brought something up that was pretty, pretty insightful the other day. He was talking about how screwed up we are as a country (laughs) and how it seems pretty dismal, but for the way that, that Bernie's progressive platform was raised, the way that the DNC had to kind of overshadow his platform. They had to take quite unprecedented organization and steps in order to do that. And it's pretty amazing that in order to beat down these very, very, very progressive views, Medicare for all, things that we haven't had in this country, they had to mobilize quite a bit in order to prop up their candidate. And that is a really good sign because that means that we were really getting somewhere in the progressive standpoint. And Trump said something that I... For once, and you will never hear me say this again, I don't think, I, he says something that I agreed with about this, even though it was not eloquently put, and I'm sure it had some malice behind it for reasons I don't agree with. 
but he said that Sanders is out. Thank you to Elizabeth Warren. If not for her, Bernie would have won almost every state on Super Tuesday. This ended just like the DNC wanted, the same as the Hillary fiasco. Well, he said the crooked Hillary fiasco, of course, because... And I agree with that in a way, because when it was clear that Warren wasn't going to win before Super Tuesday, if she was the progressive that she claimed to be, and at the beginning that she claimed to be in with Bernie, she could have endorsed Sanders before Super Tuesday. And I think, and there's clear evidence that it would have provided enough support that he could have stayed in the race and possibly won the Democratic nomination with her fans coming over to Bernie instead of wasting those votes on her campaign as it was failing before Super Tuesday. And I think that was 100% true. And I think it's really unfortunate. A lot of us are very disappointed in Warren for the way that she handled this entire thing. And, you know, now she's coming out and saying she endorses Biden, which at this point it's, you know, obviously he's the only candidate. Um, I'm just disappointed because she came out as a very strong candidate. She came out as a very strong progressive candidate, someone that was really seemed like she was in with Bernie to try to fight the system and change the system from within. But it kind of fell apart when everything was happening. But the falling in line before Super Tuesday from the DNC has never happened before in our history. So that tells us that things are moving, even if right now they seem like they have stopped. The mobilization, the, the the way that the DNC conducted the debates, you know, everything that they did to try to prop up the candidate that was more moderate, the candidate that they wanted, it just goes to show that the progressive candidate actually, for once, made a big enough impact that they had to do that. And for once, uh, an extremely progressive candidate almost won the nomination, and that's huge. It doesn't seem like it's enough right now. For a lot of us that are relying on the idea of Medicare for all, for fair wages, but the fact that he's going to stay and exert influence over the DNC is uh, is reason for hope. And the pandemic and everything that is causing the ripple effects that we talked about last week, hopefully, it can some good can come out of it. We will hopefully keep mobilizing, and we will be impassioned about the fact that the entire country fell apart in a matter of weeks because of a simple pandemic. Can I offer a couple of comments in response? Mm-hmm. One of the things that struck me as interesting about this election cycle was something you just referred to. I described it as this. This year, for the first time in my living memory, Democrats acted like Republicans. Oh, yeah. Republicans- DNC. Yes, Republicans have a history of, you know, the party elite anoint a candidate and everybody falls in line behind that candidate. Trump upset that apple cart. And, you know, I think there are a lot of Democrat, a lot of Republican never Trumpers who may not so much be opposed to him on principle, though those who are, I appreciate, and I hope we can get some of them in November, but are butthurt because basically he yanked the party out from under them. Uh, The Democrats this time did executed similar plays. They, you know, the the, the establishment, everybody, they had a candidate figured out and eventually everybody kind of like lined up behind them 
once well something I, I I I wish to point out is of course each party now has a base. The base in the Republican Party are sort of like the forgotten and the Tea Partiers put together. The base in the Democratic Party are African American voters. We are the single most reliable block. There's a generational split. The younger blacks favor Bernie, but the older ones vote. And they were the ones who saved Biden's bacon on Super Tuesday, especially in South Carolina. Had that not happened, that might that strategy might have fallen apart. And you saw it with the debates, too. You saw it with the debates how the moderators were pitting people against them, how they were kind of asking questions that you know, made it easy. Oh, and the last debate with everyone in before everyone dropped out where literally every candidate just piled on Bernie for the first half of the debate before I guess the moderators decided to stop letting them do that. But it was just exactly like you said, they propped up a candidate that they decided that they wanted and, you know, Bernie tried his best, but that's the system we have right now. And that's like I was saying, if we want to change a system where, you know, there's a bipartisanship, but not really because now both parties are kind of acting like each other or acting like, you know, one of them, it's clear that either bipartisanship isn't working. Maybe it works in theory and principle. It should work, but it's not anymore. It's not, it's, it's becoming broken and it's becoming too easily corruptible. So either we need to change the bipartisan system or we need to reform new parties. <laughs> it's we've grown so much as a country in our ideas and our progressions that we need to change the way that we're doing politics because it's become too corruptible and too, two sides of the same coin. Alrighty, and on that note, we need to do Gas Cue. Gay answers to straight questions. As gay individuals, I think we all have that crazy question. Drop my phone. See, looking at the inside of my sofa, that that question that usually is sometimes irritating, but our endeavor is to educate. That's not to say that we're not going to snicker a little bit, but it's to educate. So bring on the questions. Ask us the question so that we can help educate you and we can combat ignorance. So, Fox, what do you have for us this week? Um, I have, I tried, I'm trying to align them now more with the topics and the guests that we have. Um, Mm -hmm. So, this one, if you like, you know what, I think think I've gotten this one before. It's similar to one we've gotten in the past, but a little bit different. If you like women who wear men's clothing have men's haircuts and look like men why don't you just date men um, lovely question yeah Ugh. yeah that's uh i've gotten that question before actually <laughs> something quite like it variation yeah on that. i don't know if you there i'm sure there are straight people because all women are not these super feminine women <clears throat> um but there are women who are tomboys so why not ask oh, the yeah. guy in a heterosexual relationship, why not just date a guy if your woman does sports and, you know, doesn't wear high heels and lipstick 24-7? Yeah, no, and I, I know a guy, a heterosexual guy, a friend of mine, who specifically really likes women. And, you know, they say men's haircuts, but what this person means is, you know, short hair. But, mm-hmm. 
that's that's the thing that this person's assigning gender to things that are genderless clothing and haircuts right really there's no men's clothing really in reality and there's no men's haircuts people just have haircuts and people just have clothing so no it's not (laughs) we shouldn't just date men because we like if we like women with you know non-feminine clothes and short haircuts i keep my hair short because i just i can't deal with it it's just one less thing it's better enough i gotta do the cooking i gotta do the cleaning and i gotta do the hair yeah and the shower and the brushing yeah it's, it's a lot so, hair's, hair's it, annoying. Oh, hair's man. rough. Yeah, that's why I cut it. So, moving on, the final segment that before we sign off is um, newsworthy or not. It is a brief segment. It is a quick round, and it's for some of the topics that we just didn't get a chance to cover during our hour, and it just requires um, a quick answer. Um, you know, two snaps, eye roll, child, please, whatever, whatever kind of word comes on. So we're going to just kind of do a speed round of newsworthy or not. Animal Sometimes noises count. Yes, animal noises do count. They do. Sam's Club is offering hero hours for anyone in healthcare, And you don't even have to be a Sam, Sam's Club men, member. Oh, that's nice. Nice, right? Yeah. In Nebraska, in Omaha, Nebraska. The mall plans to reopen despite the climbing virus cases. Declining or rising? The, the, the virus cases are rising. They're still climbing, but they're looking at opening the mall. Why? Aren't they going to get arrested? I don't, I don't know. This is the government. I don't the governor of Nebraska has issued a statement. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And for you animal lovers... Coors Light has paid for a thousand adoption fees for dogs. Oh. I'm not sure how many of you have received your stimulus check, but some people have gotten them over the last week or so. If you not got yours, it's supposedly coming. You can go to the IRS website and it's something on there where you can go and say, where's my whatever. Get I did my that. Payment. Yes, oh, get, my, get payment. my payment. And also, for those folks who don't have d- a direct deposit, um, you can go on that site and click on um, get my payment, and it will take you to a link where you can add your direct deposit. And these are for people who oh. file taxes, who did, uh, uh, <clears throat> but um, but did not um, provide uh, bank account information. You know, for direct deposit. So um, that's a, another option. Yeah. Yes. Um, I oh, went on well. there and they didn't even know who I was. They were just like, yeah, we don't have anything for you. We need more. We, we don't even oh. know you. And <laughs> I'm going, okay. <laughs> All right. If you don't make enough, enough to file taxes, there's a link on the site where you can put in your information. And yeah. if you're supposed to file taxes, but you haven't done it for last year or this, you got to file them first. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm an entrepreneur. So I pay taxes. So they don't have my direct deposit um, information. And really quick two other things. Um, California is looking to order insurance premium refunds during the outbreak. So all state was the first one to offer. Well, they're the ad the what they put out there is that we're refunding the car insurance. Does anyone have all state? Uh, no, 
But Allstate was a really cool character. Which one is Allstate? Oh, the guy with that's the deep the voice. Guy with, that's the black guy with 40% and the guy who plays Mayhem. They yes. got two characters. Yes, yes, those are very good. So they came out first and said that they were refunding um, the payments that their customers paid for car insurance. If you read the fine print, they refunded 15%. <laughs> And I was just like, uh, hey, I have State Farm. Jake from State Farm, can you help a sister out here? But the governor of California is looking to make them refund premiums because no one's driving. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the AIDS quilt, I'll end with it. The AIDS quilt, um, which was from the 70s. Oh, no, two more about, about AIDS. Um, the AIDS quilt, or the AIDS quilt, they're using the rough edges from the AIDS quilt to transform them into matches. Mask, mask, mask for oh, the coronavirus. No. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Everyone's face was just like, what is she We're talking here? about? <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah, um, yeah um, and last but not yeah. least, the FDA revises blood donation policies for gay men amid the COVID-19 crisis. Because uh -huh. there was- Not the entire time. Yes, it, it has been at the height of the AIDS crisis in 1983. The FDA initially placed a lifetime ban on blood donations from to reduce the spread of HIV. It's a lifetime ban. Well, HIV is no longer as it, it you know it, it's now a manageable chronic condition. Um, the lifetime, for it. Yeah, the life for it. Right, and they're also taking blood donations from um, sex workers and injection drug users. This is serious, folks. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. Um, or those who have recently received a tattoo or piercing um, because of the urgent need. So they're taking blood donations from all of that. So give blood, folks. That's all we have for this week. Oh, wait, um, I have one. Oh, I'm sorry. That one real quick. California man arrested after stealing coronavirus specimen from hospital. Did he win? Um, you what? win. Yep, you win. Yep. That's it. You win. You win. Don't know why? 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 I don't know why. Miss <laughs> Vet, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank um, you for having me. It was nice being being with you guys. So yes. yeah. Yeah, it's very nice. Um and you have been listening to Cue the Mic on gtownradio.com. Okay, good night. Stay safe, social distancing, and wash your darn hands. Video call people, go on support groups, get on chat groups, talk to people, but also stay inside. Yes, there we go. Thank you. Bye. Night. Bye-bye. Catch us on the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Cue the Mic Radio. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Alexa, Spotify, Radio.com, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Deezer, Stitcher, and wherever else you find your podcasts. And as a reminder, our old episodes are still up on Podomatic, but we have moved our feed over to Pinecast.co. Be sure to check us out there for all the updates on the new episodes.